Hey, daters. Are you sick of small talk and no date being planned? Well, I'm excited to introduce you to First Rounds on Me, a revolutionary dating app designed for modern singles who are fed up with the frustrations of today's dating scene. The app is all about actually helping you plan dates and build genuine connections. How so? Well, the only way you match with someone is by planning a date. Send a date, a time, and a location, and then the rest is up to you. Ready to go on real dates? You can get one free month of their premium subscription with code DOCTOR, D-O-C-T-O-R. Download First Rounds on Me using the link in the show notes and start building meaningful connections offline. Hello and welcome to Reimagining Love. I'm Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Relationships have the power to wound us and the power to heal us. As a clinical psychologist, author, and professor at Northwestern University, I've devoted my life to studying intimate partnerships and family dynamics. On Reimagining Love, I'm here to translate complex clinical topics into tools and takeaways that you can use in your relationships today. If you're ready to develop relational self-awareness and create vibrant and loving relationships with the people who matter most to you, you've come to the right place. I'm so glad that you're here. so excited to dive into this super sweet episode with you all. My guest today is Becca Ree Tucker, a baker and author with a passion for mixing sugar and strong opinions. She likes using baked goods as her artistic medium, talking about feelings, destigmatizing abortion, and promoting other feminist messages. You might have seen her cakes on Instagram, where she posts as the sweet feminist. Her first cookbook, Baking by Feel, came out this fall, and I was so excited to have her on the show to discuss how she came up with the concept for this unique book. Baking by Feel pairs recipes for delicious baked goods with feelings, and she encourages readers to sit with and label their feelings and to use baking as a way to get in touch with their emotions. I can't wait for you to hear from Becca herself. I hope that you enjoy this conversation, and I hope it gives you a chance to reflect on how your creative passions and hobbies support your mental health. Becca, hi. Thank you for being here. Hi. I am so excited to be talking with you today. This is our first time meeting, but I have been following your Instagram account for a while. And I don't know what the first cake was that, you know, drew me to your work, but I'm so excited to be talking to the sweet feminist right here on Reimagining Love. I am so excited too. Um, One of my best friends is finishing up her PhD in counseling psychology, and she is super excited that I am talking to you today. She's a big (laughs) fan. That's great. I cannot wait to talk to you about your gorgeous and delicious new book, Baking by Feel. But I wanted to start by hearing more about your social media. Like, I want to understand what you think it is about delivering feminist messages via cake. 
that is so powerful, that has been so powerful, that that your cakes are the way that you and I got ourselves together. So what do you think is hitting for people about the messages with the Sweet Feminist? So cake is something that's universally loved, pretty much. So I think when you're putting these messages on cakes, people are sort of more receptive to the ideas because their guard is down a little bit because it's cake. I use cake just as a medium because I am a baker and I just decided to use whatever medium was available to me. And I believe that strongly you can use anything to be your artistic medium. And for me, it happens to be baked goods. What are a few of the sweet feminist cake messages that have become like most popular that have gone the most viral? Yeah, so I would say my pro-abortion cakes generally go the most viral and get the most response. And I think as my work has, you know, gone on over time, um, that's sort of what I've been focusing on, being in the pro-abortion space. Unfortunately, you've had to be in that space more and more with time. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, so you're saying, right, the cake is universally loved, I also wonder, tell me what you think of this. Is it something about, there's something awfully subversive in taking something that is traditionally like, quote unquote, women's work, like being in the kitchen, baking, making something, serving something, and then putting a pro-abortion message on it, right? It's sort of this like, there's, it's an unexpected and pretty significantly subversive pairing, Yes, that's absolutely true. It is an interesting pairing for sure. But I also think that things like cooking and baking sort of have always been present in these movements. Like people have been feeding movements. Food is a source of community, especially for women, especially when there were less opportunities for that kind of connection. So I I think it's both subversive and sort of a natural fit um, that's continuing on from other people's work in the past. It is paying homage then to ways in which women have gathered together around food in community as a way of witnessing each other's pain, as a way of strategizing about what comes next. Yes, that's absolutely right. Okay. Well, thank you for that part of it, because your work has invited me to look at my own relationship with cooking and baking and ways in which I think that perhaps I have labeled them as because they're traditionally feminine, to do them is to buy into some sort of narrative rather than push up against it. But I love that you are reminding me and us that actually it's an extension of a long history of community activism and community care. Okay, so then your next step was that you created Baking by Feel, right? Is this, this is your first book? This is my first book, yes. Okay, and it's that. How are you doing with Baking by Feel being out in the world? What has that process been like? It's really amazing. It's been one of my lifelong dreams to write a cookbook, um, and it took me a long time to figure out what kind of cookbook it was going to be. So it is amazing to see it physically in print. You know, I've, I've been thinking about it for several years, but I am excited that other people get to use it as well. <sighs> So you had been kind of playing with the idea in your head for a number of years around knowing you wanted to write a cookbook of some kind, but the way that you, this cookbook is incredibly unique in that you have paired recipes with emotions and you are helping us explore and think about how to use baking to help us make sense of our big feelings. So so talk to us about the journey to this book 
So about three years ago, I had the opportunity to go to therapy for the first time. And I actually got laid off around the same time. So I had a lot of capacity um, to pour into the therapy at that time. So I sort of started exploring my relationship to feelings. And my therapist and I talked about, okay, like, you're really good at describing what you're feeling, what your feelings are. But you know, are you feeling them? Do you see them show up in your body anywhere? And I was like, oh, like, that's a really different way of looking at feelings than I had done just on my own in the past. Um, And so Baking by Feel came about because we, my therapist and I started talking about this idea of if I'm engaging with my senses and I'm doing something with my hands, it's easier for me to get in the moment and be with those feelings. And so that's how we got to Baking by Feel. It's just sort of merging kind of two interests and two paths that I was on into one thing. Well, she's a pretty clever therapist, isn't she? Because she, she, she <laughs> I mean, she knew, right. So she's sitting with you and she's saying, all right, Becca is doing a beautiful job of describing her internal, she's describing these feelings to me, but she was wondering and, and concerned about whether you were feeling the feelings like in an embodied way, which is such a common challenge for so, so, so many of us. And frankly, a common challenge for our field, our, our field, my field is becoming a much more embodied field than it, it started off as a quite heady field. And so right. you're, yeah. when did that shift happen? As women and people of color have taken over more, you know, have, ha- have had more space in the field. It's sort of a process. I think it kind of goes along with like decolonizing the field of mental health, you know, and moving from our heads into our bodies, which is where we always have lived anyways. We just have, you know, disconnected from that. And, and the science, I think the science is catching up, right? The science of trauma, the science of emotion and really under, but it, but it fits with, you know, it fits with, with, with your feminist messages, right? Sort of tied to the feminine have been these things like the lesser things, the body is lesser than the mind. And so I think it's a reclamation of sorts. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So your therapist is like, all right, so Becca has an avenue for being present with her senses, with her hands, with her body, because she knows about your history and your training in this field of working with food. How do you leverage that? How do you make your, was it that you started to make your cooking and baking a more embodied experience for you? I think it's something that I had always done. And I think it's actually very common um, for people to use baking and cooking in that way. And we saw that, you know, during quarantine and during COVID, when people started making a lot of bread, um, we saw people processing that way. So I see baking by feel as just sort of a roadmap for doing something that many people already do. It's just, yeah, giving you structure to do it. It's making something that maybe feels implicit, right? Because you're right, like people were, right, I remember shopping during the pandemic, and there was like literally no flour on the shelves, right? So something was happening that was around a need to create a need to be with one's hands, a need to have like that sensory experience. But it may be more implicitly and you are doing you do such a beautiful job of making what's implicit and maybe known, you're making it explicit. And as you said, giving a roadmap. You had mentioned that when you started therapy, you had been laid off. Laid off from what? What does your work work look like? Yeah, yeah. I worked at a bakery in Washington, D.C. I think it's the best one. It's called Baked and Wired. Really excellent cupcakes. Um, So I was working there just on the operations side of things. Um, Before that, I worked at a bean-to-bar chocolate company. So I was, you know, in the food world, but I was 
writing recipes and baking just for myself on the side. So I kind of got both experiences, hospitality, restaurant world, but then also the creative world at home. Do you have formal training in baking? No, I am. I am self-taught. Um, I started baking, um, I learned from my grandma initially, and then I just was around some people that do really incredible things with food and yeah, just picked things, picked things up along the way. I think that has helped me with writing this cookbook because I know what I need to say. I'm like, okay, you need to look for this particular color or like you can use your nose to determine if it's done or not. Like I, I try to be really specific, um, with what, we're looking for and just sort of starting from a place of maybe you've never baked before, but you can, you can definitely make this thing and, you know, we'll, I'll show you how to do it. We'll do it together. Okay. But when you're being specific, you are also being embodied. Like the, the two little examples you just yes. gave us, you're like, you're looking for a color or you're smelling something. So you're, it's that deep for you. It is an embodied, like, it's not yes. a sort of like this, te- well, I'm sure there are temperatures, obviously, and measurements and things that are like, sure. X, but, but you are, but you're really... You're teaching us to to bake in an embodied way. Yes. And my favorite example of that is my favorite frosting is Swiss buttercream. And it's made from like egg whites and sugar and butter. But to tell if it's ready, if the egg white and sugar mixture, you heat it on the stove. And to tell if it's ready, you like pick it up between your fingers and rub them together. And if you still feel grains of sugar between your finger, it's not ready. Um, and if you if it feels smooth, then it's ready. Yeah, which is a very sensory thing. And like, you can't really do it by temperature. Like it really is something that like, you kind of just need to feel and test. (sighs) Okay, so it's my husband's birthday. And I go for the simplest recipe possible to make him something. But because I'm talking to you, I um, we are making him, my daughter and I are making him a gluten-free caramel cake. And the frosting... The frosting has instructions to use a, a candy thermometer, which we don't have. So then the the person who wrote this blog was like, you know, click here if you don't have a candy thermometer. And so there's the procedure now where we will put the bowl of cold water and take little bits and then roll it and, and we'll, we'll have to do it by feel. Yes. Yes. That is definitely also an option. Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to be channeling my inner Becca and really trusting that I can, because that scares I'm me. So I would like, I would like a thermometer <laughs> to tell me the temperature, but I'm going to just be so yes. damn brave and <laughs> I'm going to bake by feel. Yes. And if it doesn't work out, you can do another batch. Like it's a, it's a learning process. So I love it. Either way is okay. Do you feel like you're at a crossroads in your love life? Maybe you are sick of modern dating or wondering if the person that you're with is your person. Whatever your situation, I have the perfect podcast for you, Dateable. Dateable is your insider's look into modern dating, hosted by Julie Krafchick and Yue Shu. Julie and Yue bring a sense of humor to their insightful explorations of all things dating, turning matches into actual dates, the psychology of relationships, red flags, attachment styles, and so much more. I am proud to have been a guest on their podcast three times. So if you're looking for a great starting point, check out my latest episode with them when you're ready and they are not. I'll put a link at the bottom of the show notes. Wherever you start, this podcast is going to help you feel inspired to date differently and create a love life that works for you. Subscribe to Dateable wherever you get your podcasts. 
I love it. I it's a, it's a major arena where I our daughter is now about to turn eighteen, and she. I, as I mentioned before, I have a pretty complicated and stilted relationship with cooking and baking, but she is fearless in the kitchen and she has loved being in the kitchen since she was, I don't know, like old enough to, you know, stand there on a chair in the kitchen with me. And she, she's intuitive. She is fully in, she's immersive. It's really cool to see. And so I have grown, you know, by kind of like following her lead. And it's been an arena where she has been the teacher and I have been the student of like watching that a really diff- a radically different relationship, you know? Yeah. What an amazing opportunity to mm-hmm. learn, learn from your child. That's incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. In Baking by Feel, the first chapter includes an abbreviated list of therapeutic benefits of baking. Can you talk us through a few of those therapeutic benefits of baking? Sure. So I have my book right here. (laughs) Um, And so the first thing is that it puts you in touch with your senses, which we've already um, talked about a little bit. So I'm talking about like the way that the pie crust feels um, when you're working the butter into the flour or the way cake smells when it's done, like you get this nutty flavor. Another thing is that when you're working with your hands, like you're making dough for cinnamon rolls or something, you are really grounded in the present moment. So if it's sort of a complex recipe, you're dialed in to that and just focused on what you're doing uh, with your hands instead of your mind, you know, wandering to something that you might have to do, you know, in two days or something like that. Yeah, another thing is that it helps you connect with people. You're literally nourishing them by the products of your baking and you're nourishing yourself as well. Um, And it gives you an opportunity to really connect with people around you um, is something that I love about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a part of it that you love, right? It is for you. Is it is it solo? Is it communal? Is it all of that? Like what is where does that kind of intersection happen for you? Yeah, it it can be both. I'm happy baking on my own. That's a different experience than baking with other people. And people tend to think that if you bake professionally or something like that, then you want to have a lot of control over what other people are doing in the kitchen. But for me, like when I bake with people, I like them to do it their way. Like I'm not super prescriptive with what I'm looking for. It as a joint effort and, you know, you can make these decisions about it. Then, you know, we're going to end up with something delicious. Almost always. Sometimes things burn. <laughs> Sometimes they're too salty. But, you know, most of the time, even if it's not incredibly beautiful, you do end up with something that tastes delicious. There's a need to, in that way, like a little bit release the outcome. It's even more reason than to savor the process, to really like savor and be present to the process because the outcome isn't necessarily guaranteed. Yes, exactly. Hmm. You divide the book into five like umbrella emotion chapters. So you have happy, sad, mad, anxious, hopeful. And then each recipe in the chapter, the emotion label becomes a lot more specific. So like, for example, in the anxious chapter, you have the vanilla chocolate twist bars for when you're feeling confused and blackberry lime galette for when you're feeling scattered. So tell us about the journey to organize the book that way into these like macro emotion labels and then the kind of finer tuned labels. Yeah. So this is just my own invention. I know Robert Pletcher created the emotions wheel, um, but this is for the purpose of this book. So what I did is I sat down and wrote of all the emotions that were top of mind for me. And then I asked other people to tell me about which emotions show up 
quite often um, for them. And I decided on 65. Of course, there are hundreds and hundreds. I couldn't fit them all in the book. So this is just a, a sampler, I would say. Yeah. Are there ways, like, what was the process of pairing up? Like, why does Blackberry Lime Galette go with Confuse? Like, what were some of, what are some of the stories behind some of those pairings? Sure. So those black and white cookies that are with Confuse, they are paired that way because you're taking half vanilla dough, half chocolate dough and putting it together into one thing. And I tell you, you know, there's lots of different ways you can eat this cookie. You can eat the vanilla side first. You can eat the chocolate side first. You can take a bite of each. You can fold it, eat it that way. And so like any of those outcomes is good, delicious. And that's true in life as well. Like if you're confused, it's okay to just pick pick a path and, and go with it. And it's not like there's inherently, you know, a right or a wrong path. But the pairings, they, I put them together in a few different ways. Like it could just be like lemon is a really bright flavor. So lemon, my lemon poppy seed cake is paired with happy um, just because it evokes a sense of happiness. It could be about the process itself. One of my longer recipes, I think it's the cinnamon rolls, is paired with board um, because it is such a long long process and you it engages you in something for a long period of time it's relatively complex so those are sort of some different ways that they're paired together but something that's cool about the book is that the photographs also are meant to reflect the emotion of the recipe pairing um and so I worked with a Scott as the photographer and Olivia Caminiti as the food stylist and we we're trying to figure out how to visually represent these feelings, uh, which was a really fun thing for us to do. Oh, I bet it was. I can just imagine the conversation and the, how you really had to play with all the different possibilities. And it was, um, you know, writing a book is such a deeply, at least for me, it's such a deep, like, core identity kind of experience, as well as being communal and collaborative. So I am, I can just imagine like you're working with your food stylist and your photographer. And so it's like they, you, these are your recipes and it's like this both and of this is like deeply yours. And now you really need to be sharing it with them in order to bring to life. Right. Exactly. I loved that collaborative element because I think, yeah, with a book, sometimes you're just kind of floating, writing a book, you're floating off on your own in your own world. So it was really, yeah, nice to have other people to bring it to life with me. My intention for the book is that it's a sort of choose your own adventure thing where you look at the feelings wheel, check in with yourself and say, okay, like what comes up for me today? Is it like, is one emotion really loud for me today? Is it a mix of like five different ones? Um, and then you would choose the one that you want to focus on that day and then go to the beginning, find the emotion recipe pairing and bake that recipe. And along with the recipe, some of the little blurbs next to it that talk about the feeling, there could be prompts to write in a journal or um, do this activity. There's participatory things for you to do while you're waiting um, for the timer to go off because there are, there is a lot of time um, while you're waiting for things to come out of the oven. It's just so thoughtful. It's a really thoughtful way of inviting inviting a reader on a reader and a baker on a choose your own adventure path because you are and you've got you're kind of holding the reader through the journey like beginning middle end like okay so identify the emotion you know find the recipe create process as it bakes and then enjoy and share I'm glad that comes through 
<laughs> that was my thought. So I'm glad that. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned that your your relationship with baking goes way back to your grandma. Can you tell us more? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So my grandma always had something sweet at her house just on a daily basis. You know, she had a candy drawer and there were always some kind of cookies. And she's made the same cookies for my grandpa for the past 50 years. I think he's eaten one most days that he's been married to her. And so my first memory of baking with her is making chocolate chip cookies. Um, and it's a really like visceral memory for me. Like I can feel the grittiness of the cookie dough, like on the beater when I'm looking it off. I, I, it's really vivid for me. And that's, yeah, that's sort of how I, how I started. And then after that, it was just kind of an ongoing experiment. I would try things and see what worked and yeah, just learned that way. Oh my gosh. Are your grandma and grandpa both living? They are. Yes. And so your grandpa is still eating those cookies. As far as I know. I mean, I haven't asked lately, but I, I will ask. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What is What can you tell us what the cookie is that she makes for him all the time? It's like a, a cinnamon, like kind of crackly cookie. It's thin and kind of crunchy. Um, my goodness. Yes. Oh, and how do they feel? Are they so excited about this book coming? Like, is she especially? How does she feel about she the fact is, that her granddaughter she is excited? Has... Yes, she just got her copy a few days ago. I sent her, sent her one of them, and yes, she was excited, excited about it. What a powerful kind of um, legacy for her, you know, that this is like, had you not been born to this grandma, who knows what path your life would have gone, you know, and sure, then you wouldn't, know. Have, you wouldn't have created this book and all of yeah. us wouldn't get to, you know, have just have this opportunity to reflect on our own relationship with baking or transform our relationship with baking or heal, you know, do part of our healing through baking. Right. It is pretty, pretty amazing to, to see that happen. Yeah. So we had talked a little bit ago about how much cooking and baking became part of of many of our experiences, you know, in the pandemic. And that was probably a combination. Well, it was a combination of being in lockdown. There was very little we could do outside of our homes. There was a need for nourishment, self-care. There's a need to fill time, right? What is your sense of have people kind of stayed close to those experiences of baking through the pandemic, let them go? Like, I think about if, if you're inviting us to view baking as more than just a means to an end, right? If it is a hobby or a practice or a therapeutic approach, how do we hold on to that when there are competing demands for our time or challenges with perfectionism? Like, how do we cultivate a relationship with baking? Right. So I, I do think people have sort of, yes. Yeah, gotten further away from it since the beginning of the pandemic as they found other ways to process and have been able to spend time with their friends and family. So for baking as a practice, I would say you should do it when you want to do it. Like, I don't think it has to be a chore. And I think the thing with the sourdough is for a lot of people, it became a chore. I have to feed this sourdough starter. I have to make this bread or throw away some of the starter. Um, and it became like a another thing you have to deal with. And I think with baking, avoiding that is good. <laughs> and yeah, just using it as a tool when you think it will be helpful as a tool instead of just a, a mandatory thing. I have to make these cookies for this bake sale tomorrow for my kid. And I know that sometimes that does happen, but I'm inviting people to yeah view it as the process rather than just... 
I need this baked good at this at this time. That tends to be, you know, we've we've touched on sort of the the ways in which feminism and baking are certainly not at odds with each other. And there is this parallel truth that very often, especially in heterosexual couples, you know, cooking and baking and food preparation is so much part of her, you know, domestic responsibility that then it does have that chore element to it, doesn't it? Right. I guess there's like a need to honor that reality while also holding open the possibility that there can, that it can be more than that. It can be about being present to the process so that there's like nourishment of self, even as you're making something that is going to nourish somebody else or check the box off about the bake sale. Yes, absolutely. Now that you are a social media baker, like what has been challenging about turning your baked goods into like content? Yeah, it does. Like taking it from a hobby to more of a job changes it, of course, because if you're thinking about content, that's a very different thing than just, you know, being present in the kitchen. So those two things can be intention. For me, that's just the reality, (laughs) the reality (laughs) of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I imagine there's like some amount for you of like a little bit of mourning, like mourning the time when there was just a simpler relationship, perhaps, while also while also appreciating, obviously, all of what being a social media baker brings you. Also, Yeah, absolutely. I had a, a different food blog before I started The Sweet Feminist, um, and I didn't have very many followers. So I really was just focusing on creativity and holding that kind of artistic space for myself, which was uh, really fun. Um, and that is something that I, I try to do now instead of focusing on, you know, trying to build this presence, trying to share things that I actually want to share with the world. Right. Yeah. I find that as well. Like there's, there is like, I'm so deeply aligned with the content that I create and it is such an expression of myself and very often an expression of what I am like working on or wrestling with or reckoning with in my own life. And I do like want to hold some of that work as like just for me, right? Journaling that is just for me. But I have this duality where sometimes I'll be in whatever it is, like a difficult conversation with my husband or have an awareness about my relationship with my mom. And I will at the same time think, how does this become a podcast episode? How does this become an Instagram post? And there's something that feels problematic about that. And it is just the truth that I have always, always, always been somebody where my process is like, once I learn something for myself, I want to share it. Like it is like a channel through me. Like I get it. I want to share it. Like I don't want to hold, I am like compulsive about not holding anything for me, like figuring out how to transform it. And so in some ways it would be harder for me to just hold an insight that I have gleaned, that would be harder to just hold it. It's much easier to be like, okay, so where does that go? How does that translate to something that might be useful to somebody else? Yeah. I love that about you. I think that's so wonderful. And yeah, I mean, that's something that I do with The Sweet Feminist as well. Yeah. Do your pro-abortion cakes help you with your rage, fear, sadness with all of it? Yeah. So (laughs) yes, I mean, making the pro-abortion cakes absolutely has helped me process my own abortion experience from many years ago. It's been almost 10 years, but I carried a lot of just internalized shame and yeah, just shame about it. Um, and needing feeling like I need to hold it within myself because I, you know, I really hadn't heard very many people talk about their abortion story. And I remember feeling so strange about that at that time and just 
feeling very alone. And so, yeah, sharing my abortion story publicly and figuring out how to talk about abortion publicly um, in a way that actually uh, supports people who have abortions instead of, you know, pandering to people who are anti-abortion um, and just sort of, yeah, reframing my language, reframing how I think about it has been like a, a public thing for me. And I really appreciate that, that I've been able to work through that along with, you know, other people who have abortions and share their stories with me. That's been really incredible for me through this platform. Oh, well, it's a different variation on that same theme that we were just talking about in terms of my own, like sort of processing something and then sharing it. Like for you, your original relationship with your abortion story was one of shame, as is, I think that the the anti-abortion movement thrives on continuing to cultivate a relationship between abortion and shame, right? Like that is a huge, I mean, if, if people who've had abortions are silenced by shame, it is much, much easier to continue to erode rights. And so for you to push through shame and share your story publicly heals you, obviously, but it also, you are becoming part of a collective reckoning, a collective pushback. Right, because so many people feel so isolated in their experience, and that doesn't have to be the reality. It shouldn't be the reality. And yeah, I think that's a big part of this moment as well, is just refusing to go back into a a shame-isolating space, regardless of, you know, what's happening legally. That's right. It's not even, I read an article, I don't know if it was the New York Times or the Atlantic recently, about just how few pop culture references there are to abortion, given the vast number of women and people who are pregnant who have had abortions in this country, how little we see those storylines, you know, on the TV shows and the movies we watch. Like it is just not, and that further reinforces and grows shame, doesn't it? Yes. And and when we do see them, it often is accompanied by depictions of shame and embarrassment and pain and all of those kind of things. And yeah, the depictions don't really accurately reflect the experience of the majority of people who have abortions, I would say. I am so glad that you shared your story publicly. I am so glad that you are tied into other people who have shared their stories publicly. I'm so I'm grateful to you for doing that. And I'm glad that you are part of like this growing collective that is essential at this moment. Okay, so what what are you hoping that readers are going to take away beyond like total deliciousness in <laughs> these recipes? What are you wanting for your readers? Yeah, I'm hoping that this will become a part of their toolkit to engage with their emotions just as another option for yeah, engaging and processing your feelings. So I, I hope it sits on your shelf and when you see it and you're feeling something big, you're like, oh yeah, I could use that to engage with this big thing that feels like it's, you know, like a wave overtaking me. That's sort of what I hope. I also, you know, just a regular cookbook is also fine. <laughs> like if you just want to bake the recipes, that's completely fine with me as well. But yeah, I just, one thing that I'm actively trying to do is cultivate just tools that I can use and finding things that actually work for me to do that. And I know everybody is really different about what works for them. So I just, yeah, I want to provide this as, as an option if it works for you. I think it's one of the things that's so exciting about this moment. Like we've done such a beautiful job of destigmatizing therapy 
And it means that we're like talking more about therapy. We're talking more about mental health. But as I was saying before, like my field has been like a pretty heady field and it's been a completely talk based field, you know? And so I think that I love that people like you are inviting us to like just have a really robust toolkit that's about how we tend to our inner world, how we tend to all the ways in which like our past or our present activates us that it's not we don't just have to sit and journal we don't just have to do yoga we don't just have to do a therapy session we can also we can turn any of these practices any of our hobbies any of our interests into something that is like consciously therapeutic yes that's that's exactly right you articulated it perfectly i never would have (laughs) come up with that explanation myself but that is exactly that is exactly what i would hope What do you want to say for a reader who is on board and who continues to struggle with their own relationship with food, with with calories, sweet stuff, indulgence, like that the fact that these recipes, there's nothing paleo or clean, like da da da. They're not these are these are recipes that really are purely about the pleasure of eating, that they don't fit within our some of the notions that especially women have been given about how we should eat, and if we're going to, quote unquote, cheat, how we should cheat. Like, what do you want to say? What what do you want to remind all of us around how to be with these recipes? I, yeah, I would say that, you know, your relationship with this cookbook and with food, you know, that is very personal to you. You don't have to justify making dessert to anyone, including yourself. I would say this, that is sort of not my area of expertise. Um, so I don't want to say too much about that. I would say, um, I don't, yeah, I just, I don't want to speak out of a place of, um, outside of my depth. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Well then let, then, then let me say, yeah, <laughs> that would me, be great. Then let me say <laughs> that what I would want is for a reader to, we've named all of the kind of therapeutic benefits of the sensory and the community and, And there's this added layer of giving oneself permission to prepare food and enjoy food in a way that pushes back against perhaps some paradigms that have been given to you that weren't yours, right? Like, I believe that our original relationship with food is to seek pleasure and comfort and deliciousness, right? And perhaps, and we have had, we, many of us have been deprived of that by a set of rules and ideas and, you know, this very like sort of very narrow definition of how a body ought to look and the bodies that are more valued and less valued. And so there's a way in which like yet another element of this book that is like healing and perhaps a bit subversive is that you are like, you're inviting us to like eat, to be with deliciousness, to be with pleasure. And that that doesn't have to mean the opposite extreme of binging and discomfort in that way, which is a different form of self-torture, right? But to just be really present with the process and, and to enjoy and savor and, and allow it to be pleasurable. Yes. And that is a huge part about how I yeah, approach baking in general. I see it as, yeah, seeking pleasure unapologetically um, and Oh, Becca. Okay. So let's talk about people can go to learn more about you. And so the the biggest thing obviously is to grab a copy of Baking by Feel. So we will have links in the show notes, but where can people get, where can people get Baking by Feel? Yeah. So you can get it at bookshop.org. Hopefully your local bookstore um, will have a copy. 
several libraries place um, orders as well. Or you can go to the publisher's website, HarperCollins. You can Google HarperCollins Bacon by Feel and it'll have a whole list of places um, that you can find a copy. We always link to bookshop.org because it is like that is the best place, best way for people, at least in the U.S., to access your your book, all books through local indie sellers. Mm -hmm. Good. And then how about online? Where How can people connect with you online? So I have a website. It's thesweetfeminist.com. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at at the sweet feminist. That's great. Good. All of that will be in the show notes. Becca, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you, Becca, for reminding us of the importance of naming and processing our emotions. I know this conversation has inspired me to dip back into some of my favorite creative hobbies and to use them as a tool to process whatever emotions I'm feeling on any given day. I highly recommend getting your hands on a copy of Becca's cookbook. It is full of delicious recipes. I think you'll really love the introduction and her writing in general as well. You will find a link to her book in the show notes. So until next time, be well. Thank you for listening to our show. Our producer is Elizabeth Vogt. Our editors are Mary Chan and Danelle Cloutier of Organized Sound Productions. Our theme music was composed by Slade Warnkin. Reimagining Love is executive produced by me, Dr. Alexandra Solomon. Do you have a relationship question that you want to have answered on the show? Follow the link in the show notes of this episode to send in a written or audio question. Questions can be about intimate partnerships, family relationships, friendships, you name it. I can't wait to hear from you.